Please turn with me now in the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, beginning in verse 31. Luke 18, verse 31. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not know the things which were spoken. And it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray. Lord, truly we bless and glorify you and your goodness. We are thankful, Lord, that we can remember your kindness and your covenant mercies these many years later and on into eternity forever. And how we pray, Lord, that this word would do us much good. And as we pray, Lord, it would glorify you, our remembrance and discussion of it, but Lord, how we pray that you yourself would speak to this people, that you would open our blind eyes to see, and that, Lord, we would be blessed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, after some many weeks in Luke chapter 18, we come to the final portion of it, This portion beginning from verse 35 to the end. And once again, our story is about a healing. There are many healings in this gospel. And once again, our story is about Jesus showing mercy to the unworthy. And there are many such stories in this gospel. In fact, it would seem to be, if not the only theme, one of the great themes of this book this great theme of all of Scripture actually is of, of a sovereign God showing mercy to those who simply do not deserve it. And we keep waiting to find that one person who comes to Christ and asks him sincerely for mercy and does not receive it. We keep waiting to come to that. And we never do. And we're not going to come that d- this day either. It's not going to happen today. Once again, this man is going to be shown mercy. And in one regard, this is simply about repeating these great things. 
The idea that Christ has the power to heal any disease, any deformity, any problem whatsoever, that needs to be repeated until we get it into our heads. Because I don't know if we have it yet. Sometimes I wonder whether we really know that Jesus can solve each and every one of our difficulties. He has that power. And the other, the other thing, the other repetition is even more important. It's not just whether he has the power, it's whether he has the will to do it. Does he, is he a merciful Lord? And we keep forgetting about that as well. We have to be reminded, yes, he is a merciful God. And we could keep on repeating these themes forever. And we would be fine doing it. Because God knows that we can scarce believe it. It's too good to be true. We have to keep repeating it. But there are always going to be differences. Always a God who makes sure that no two trees are exactly the same. That this, this very uh, thing made out of wood, well, this thing made out of man, I bet there's lots and lots of things that look exactly like it. But there are no two things like this identical. Every last plank of, of timber, of wood in this whole universe, it is, it is distinct. Our fingerprints, they're not identical with others. We are different because our God is triune and he is beautiful. And so it is in his word that none of these things are precisely and only repetitions. But there are always things that are, 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 are distinct that teach us more and bring glory to God. And one of those things happen, is the context of what happens before. What happens right before this, this healing of the blind man? What's there? A different kind of blindness. He speaks so clearly to his disciples. He could not have spoken any more clearly to his disciples about precisely what was going to happen. He doesn't say uh, the Son of Man is going to be in the belly of the, the earth like Jonah. And everyone has to say, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Sometimes he spoke like that for his own good purposes. But he didn't speak that way this time. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. Well, uh, what, what things? He will be delivered to the Gentiles, will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. How could it possibly be any clearer? But they didn't understand. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not know the things that were spoken. They were blind, you see. And so it is no accident then that the very next thing that happens is that Jesus opens the eyes of one who is blind. Because we must never forget that we are born blind. Just as we are born dead spiritually, we are born blind spiritually. And if he does not open our eyes, we will not see So one of the distinct things is the context. The other one, I would say, is surely this reference to the son of David. Is that significant? Is that significant? I I think it is. Because I want us to understand that we are brought to, to mercy. We are brought to merciful dealings by God through the covenant, through covenantal mercies. Now, we'll speak a little bit more about this later, but I want us to understand it is no random thing that this man cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Well, this sermon is entitled, Mercy from the Son of David. Mercy from the Son of David. And there are these three points. First, the blind ask for mercy. Secondly, no mercy from man. Thirdly, mercy from the son of David. 
So our first point is the blind asks for mercy in verse 35. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho. Now again, is that context, is that little word, is that significant? As he was coming near Jericho. Well, of course it's true, of course it's just uh, all of this is history. No history book that we'd ever have would be half as accurate as what we have in the word of God. So it's useful to have those details. But we are reminded in it that the Lord does not have to show mercy. He doesn't have to. He's not compelled. He once didn't show mercy. He once laid waste to the city of Jericho under Joshua. And only Joshua, by the way. Joshua would have gotten nowhere except the Lord himself acted to tear down the walls. You remember? He, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. So the Lord brought them down in order to bring in his army who came then to destroy all that people. And no one was shown any mercy at all. With one exception. Oh wait, it wasn't just one exception though, was it? Actually, there were a number of people saved. So so wait, this one person that was saved was a prostitute. Did she deserve that mercy? No, she didn't. But they had made a promise, you see. There was a promise given to her. It was a merciful promise to save her. And her family. Her family. They were also saved as well. And God showed mercy to no one else. The only mercy that was given came through the covenant. And that's a picture, by the way, of what will happen to this world in the end. God comes to judge The whole world will be laid waste and every one of them to be destroyed except except to the one whom he showed mercy. Our covenant head, Abraham, and all those that are connected to him by being his seed, whether naturally, well, and particularly, of course, in terms of faith. Mercy comes through the covenant. Anyhow, so this little detail that he was coming near Jericho reminds us of these things. And it happened that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. Now keep in mind, that would have been the situation. They didn't have the kind of uh, equality laws for, for disabled people. They didn't have electronic aids and all the rest of it that would enable blind people to do useful work. He, he didn't have any other way of making a living. And so he was a beggar. He was totally reliant upon others to do what? Not to get what he earned, but for them to show mercy on him or else he would starve to death. And maybe in the providence of God that was used to prepare this man to ask them for mercy. That's maybe the other side of the coin of what we've seen earlier on, right? Of of how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The rich young ruler, he had everything. He wasn't used to asking anyone for mercy. And so when the time came for it, he just couldn't bring himself to do it. This, This beggar knew how to ask for mercy, and when the time came, he was prepared to do so. Now, I don't mean to say that anyone can ever come to faith in Christ apart from from God's supernatural work of regeneration, but humanly speaking, the Lord had prepared him by him being, this being his whole business in life, is asking people for mercy. In verse 36, and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Isn't that amazing? He's, he's reliant upon the passerbys just to tell him the situation. He wouldn't otherwise know. He, he must ask them 
And thankfully, they were willing to share this crucial piece of information with this poor man that it was Jesus of Nazareth. We're reminded, isn't that the case with the people around us? They're blind. They don't have a clue. And if we don't tell them that Jesus is passing by, they won't know it. Well, mainly, again, the the point here is that this blind man is going to ask for mercy. That's what he does in verse 38. He cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy, not at all. Like the rich young ruler coming, Lord, give me what I deserve. Give me what I have earned. No, he's like the tax collector that beats his breast and says, "Have have mercy on me, Lord. Now that is, of course, you know, as I've mentioned, the thought of many today is that if they lack anything that anyone else in this world has, it's, they think it's that they have been cheated. Right? And, and it's almost as if when Jesus came by that they would bring a lawsuit because they had been made blind and that, that this was unjust and wrong and they would demand retribution. They would demand to be compensated for this bad treatment at the hands of God. But not this man. He asked for mercy. Now, we understand that this man's need extended far beyond the fact that he couldn't see. Jesus knew that. But just for a moment, we think that he is asked for mercy. And the question is, will he receive it? Okay, well, that was our first point. The blind man asked for mercy. The second one... There's no mercy from man. Okay, he's asking Jesus for, mer- for mercy, but there are other people in between himself and Jesus that need to facilitate that. And are they? Are they going to do that? Are they going to pass the word on to Jesus? Are they going to try to help him? No. In verse 39, then those who went before him warned him that, they, that he should be quiet. Now, let me say, I think that there are similarities with the story of the parents. Not so long ago, the parents bringing their children to be blessed. Do you remember that? They were bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed by him. And what did the disciples say? Oh, great, come on, bring him. No, they forbade them. They rebuked them. They said, get out of here. We're too important. The Lord's too important. It's not going to help anyways. Please move on. So the disciples are shooing them away, and in this case, the people are, are shushing this poor blind man. And putting these stories together, what's the lesson? The lesson is very clear that man by nature is unmerciful. When God declares his name, and when he wants to distinguish himself from, from, from fallen man, when he wants to distinguish himself from all that is not God, he speaks of his mercy. The first thing that comes to his mind is to speak of his mercy. Because we're not merciful, brothers and sisters, by nature. We aren't. You know, Romans 1.28 tells us that even as they did not like to retain God and their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And then there is a long list of things, a long list of things, which fallen men is being given over to, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, 
full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, unmerciful. No, God is merciful, but men are not. In their pride and selfishness, they would prevent even this blind beggar from being helped. Why? Because his crying out annoyed them. That's their unmerciful nature. Now, when we see mercy, and we do see mercy in this world, let's not forget that, but we don't say, ah, man is merciful. No, we say God is good. We give thanks to God who ensures that this world carries on and does not descend into the hell on earth that it would otherwise be in something we call common grace. Basically, it means that, that people are not as bad as they could be. God, as it, it gives the, God upholds things so that we don't tear each other to pieces in this world and we see people rightly being merciful. But when we see that, We don't say, ah, look, the nature of man is to be merciful. No, we say that God is good and makes them, despite themselves, to be merciful. Now, let me also say, just in thinking about the nature of mercy, it's not something that actually happens between equals, right? If there are two people who are utterly equal and have the same things, and the other one doesn't have some need that the other one doesn't, there's no sense of mercy, Rather, mercy is something a superior can bestow on an inferior that he doesn't have to do. And by definition, again, doesn't have to do. Now, so the, the, even the idea of giving mercy, it, it's, it's, it's in something in the hands of those who are, are greater than the one who receives it. And of all those on earth, then, it's the king, you see. The king and and others in great authority who can bestow mercy. And the greatest would be the king of Israel, the son of God. Anyways, he doesn't receive mercy from God, but but from man, but thankfully it doesn't deter him at all. He cried out all the more, son of of David, have mercy on me. He, He was shameless, wasn't he? He was rebuked for crying out, but he just keeps on doing it. And that's a good thing, because brothers, I think that shame... Or rather, what the fear of man has kept many people from heaven. Our fear of man, that keeps us from God, and we shouldn't let it. He was shameless, and thankfully so. Well, he doesn't actually receive any mercy from, from man, but thirdly, he does receive mercy from the son of David. Now, let's just think about that title he used, Son of David, Have Mercy on Me. Because it has to do with the covenant. It has to do with his least known of all the covenants, the, the, the covenant with David. Now, there was once a book on covenant theology. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, covenant theology, but it was called the binding of God. And no one can bind God against his will. That's not what it's saying. Of course not. Christ is the stronger man who binds Satan, the strongest of, of all the creatures. But the amazing thing about the covenant is that, that God binds himself. In covenant. And all we have to do, you see, because we're told God doesn't have to show mercy, God doesn't have to show grace, all we have to do is find some covenant that applies to us, and that's what connects us up with his mercy and his grace. Well, that's precisely what this poor man was doing, right? 
Now, I've, I've read from one uh, part, portion of Scripture that speaks of the promises regarding David. Jeremiah 33 also says these things. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform the good thing which I promised to the house of Israel and the house of David. Right? He's promised some good thing. And what is he talking about? How is that going to happen? By what way are these good things going to finally come to the people of Israel? Well, in those days, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. And he shall execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. And the explanation for these things in verse 17, for thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. All the good things that were ever promised are going to one day find their fulfillment because of this covenant with David. He is going to sit on the throne of his father and he will reign forever and the people will be blessed because of it. All the seed of Abraham. And so what then is he saying when he says, son of David, have mercy on me? You know, they didn't say that. The people who said, when he asked him, what's going on? And the people said, yeah, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, have, have, no, he says, son of David, have mercy on me. What does that mean? It means that he believed that the fulfillment of all these things was at hand and was passing by right that moment. It was passing by. So Jesus, in verse 40, stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. It's as if he's heard his, his name. Didn't, didn't hear Jesus of Nazareth. He heard a name that even meant more to him. The son of David. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. It does certainly tell us about the nature of Christ. This is what this is all about. I want you to see Christ in this. What do we learn from Christ when he stood still and commanded him to be brought to him? It tells us about Christ himself and also about the church. It tells us that there is something called effectual calling. Right? If we're dead and blind, how is that ever going to work that we come to him? The answer is that the Lord commands people to be brought to him. That's what he does. The Spirit of God that goes throughout all the world, sent by both the Father and the Son. He goes and he brings people. The Lord commands people to be brought to him through the Spirit and also through his church. Right? He, 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 he is commanding the church to bring people to him. That is a work of, of gathering. And that's what the church does. It simply brings people to Jesus. What else can we do? I hope you're not here to to hear me or to see me. That's not going to do you any good. But no, this church brings people to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus has commanded us to do, he says, bring them. Bring these people and I'll save them. So when he had come near, he asked him in verse 41, saying, what do you want me to do for you? And this would seem to be rather obvious. He is speaking, of course, as the king. A king who can bestow mercy and can do absolutely anything he wants. That was the thing about these, these ancient Near East uh, sovereigns, these kings, is that anything, even uh, no matter what they had they'd done, they could be shown mercy. No matter what trouble, what, no matter what debts they were in, they could be repaid. Whatever it was they could possibly want, 
the king is there and he's asking, what would you like me to do? Now, in some sense, this would seem to be rather obvious in the case of this blind man. Of course, he wants to see. And God knows everything, brothers. He wants to be asked, though. Okay? We're not telling him anything that he doesn't know. Lord, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm blind. He knows that. But he wants to be asked. Parents, is that true of you? Would you like to be asked? Do you understand that your little one wants food? Is that already apparent to you? But would you like to be asked sometimes? Absolutely. Well, that's why we pray. I'll say more about that. But he says, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said to him, without further ado. Now, he doesn't go through the list. He, says, he doesn't say, um, and why should I do that? On what basis should I possibly do that? Because the basis is clear. This man has got him. Do you see how he's got him? He's called out upon his covenant name. In, in faith, he has claimed these covenant promises. He is a child of the covenant and he has embraced that covenant. The gracious covenant. And yes, he's asking for mercy. He's not demanding it. But he knows he has a right to ask for that mercy from the son of David. And, and Jesus doesn't say another thing. He does, you know, for the, when the Gentile woman, the, you remember her, this dog, this Gentile dog, she didn't have any claim covenantally on him at all. And she makes something up. And he, she, he's, in the end, <laughs> of course, because of her faith, you know, she says, well, even the, even the little dogs get the crumbs from the covenant people. And it's true. That, that is actually, she got it right in that sense. Because the whole Gentile world are getting the crumbs from the people of Israel. And God and the Lord bestowed mercy on her. But this one, wow, he is a son of this covenant. And he's called out by this name. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Because that's the thing. That's the other part of the covenant. Right? All the people who receive the covenant, who have any tie to it, is given to them on a silver platter. All they have to do is receive it in faith. Even Rahab's family. Right? They didn't do anything to deserve it. All they had to do was believe what Rahab said. Rahab went and said, we're about to be destroyed. But if you come to my house, you'll be saved. Really? Yep. They made a promise. And, and they do. They believe it. And they're saved. And, and here, this blind man was given the covenant promises on a platter. It was his birthright. And all he did was receive it in faith. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. And he is given his sight. Well, immediately, and I need not say, not only did he embrace those covenant promises, he also believed that Jesus was able to do it. He had no doubt about that at all. That was seen precisely in his persistence. Right? The Lord isn't pleased when we ask for something. Oh, Lord, if, if it's your will, maybe you could help me a little bit. But if it's not, he's not pleased by that. You, you have to, you come in, in pleading dependence because you know if he doesn't do it, it won't happen. And you know that he can do it. And all you have to do is, is ask for it. And that's the way you ask. He's pleased by your persistence. It's a sign of faith. 
But immediately in verse 43, he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Isn't that the whole point of everything? Isn't that the end result of all things? The whole work of redemption from beginning to end, from creation to consummation, the all, all of this is about bringing glory to God, that we, the recipients of these things, personally should glorify God. And everyone who sees God's goodness to us might glorify God. That's what it's all about. And we have, in this one story, the perfect picture of how all that works, all encapsulated in this one little thing. We're born blind, helpless. We desperately need help. Jesus Christ is merciful. And what ties us to his mercy is a covenant that we embrace by faith. And he bestows his mercy upon us. And no one's ever turned away. And we praise God. And people around us praise God as they see it. And that goes on forever and ever and ever. So, this was mercy from the son of David. And in our applications, let's begin just with what we ended. First of all, glorify God. If we didn't do anything else, if we had no other benefit from this, all we need to do is look at this and say, glory, glory to God, praise God, that Jesus Christ in his mercy saved this man, bestowed his mercy. Isn't that wonderful? This is our God, people. Rejoice, worship him, be glad that you have such a Lord. Be glad that he actually, all those covenant promises are true. The Lord said, you'll never lack a man, a descendant to sit on the throne. And you, say, and you say, it's impossible. The nation was destroyed and scattered. But know that Lord Jesus Christ is alive and he still reigns. And all the things that were ever said of him are true and more. Glorify God in this. Secondly, surely you should believe in Christ. Right? Surely you should do that. Now look, some of those people, when they, and the, the, as they were going by, they only, they only saw Jesus of Nazareth. Right? They looked at him, they saw an ordinary man. Maybe he's a prophet, I don't know, but, but that, that's Jesus of Nazareth. What about the blind man? Who, what did he see? He saw the king of Israel. He, in the eyes of faith, though he was blind, physically could see the king of Israel. And his faith made him well. My friends, whom do you see when you see this Jesus of Nazareth? Just a man? Or is he the Christ, the son of David, the son of God? If you believe, your faith will make you well. You will be saved eternally from the wrath to come, just like Rahab and her family. Thirdly, I would urge you and admonish you not to fear man. Do not fear man. You know, the the Bible says that the fear of man brings a snare, and that is true in life. We live our lives under the fear of of man. It, It will be bad for us, even in this life. But it is so much, much, much more so when it comes to eternal and spiritual things. How many people are in hell right now who were too embarrassed to become Christians. Think about that. They were embarrassed about what their friends and relatives would think. And so they never did come to Christ. 
They were blind, and, and Jesus was passing by in the company. Who's that? Jesus of Nazareth? Son of David, have mercy on me. What? Be quiet. Oh, okay, all right. And that's it. And they perish in their sins because they were too afraid of man. Friends, let that not happen to you. Don't fear man. Fear God. Fourthly, let's talk about prayer very briefly. I hope it becomes obvious. I hope I've said so much about it in the course of the sermon. But you know, truly, you have not because you do not ask. And sometimes we ask in such a way that is not pleasing to the Lord. Can we not ask in the way that this, that this blind man did? Now, the people rebuked him. They said, be quiet, you're asking too much. Did Jesus rebuke him? Not at all. And this is just the story that we've heard reiterated in the course of this gospel. You remember of that importunate widow who kept coming back to this judge that could care less. He didn't fear God and didn't fear man, but he said, lest this widow weary me, I will give her justice. Will not God much more hear his people? We know that's true. He didn't rebuke either of them. He commended them for their faith. This should be us in prayer. Ask this merciful God. And you just might receive. Fifthly and finally, let me say, in God's providence, we have set before us these el- the elements of baptism. I have said that the way that we have, you know, if you think about the covenant of grace, God has made a covenant. Christ has made a covenant to redeem his people. And he's, he's a merciful God, he's a merciful Lord, but the question is, to whom then? Is that everyone? The answer is no. No. That wouldn't be mercy, by the way, if it was just randomly everyone. The mercy is bestowed, and the question is on who, on what terms, and the answer is the covenant. Okay? That you, if you do not, if you're not connected up by some covenant, you don't lay claim to the mercy of God. Well, this is a symbol of that. Okay? It's a symbol of from one generation to the next, believing people, their children having this mark of the triune God, the name of the triune God upon them, and being brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord that they also might embrace in faith the Lord Jesus Christ, of which this is, this is a picture, this, this gospel, in pictorial form. The water washings, one who is dirty. Are babies dirty? Yes, they are. They're born in sin, you see. Do they need the washing of Christ? Do they need the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, they do. Does baptism give it to them at that moment? No, it's not like that. It is a a sign and seal of the covenant that they, we pray, that the Lord would grant their sure mercy, the sure mercies of David to this child. And we know that he's never yet turned down anyone who's asked him for such things. So this is what we learn from mercy from the son of David. Let us pray now. 
Heavenly Father, we are thankful indeed for your goodness. We're thankful, Lord, for all that you grant to us in your word. And Lord, we know that our problem is only that we are. Even though we, are, we may have our eyes opened, we're sort of like that man who can only see men like they were trees and their vision is still very blurry and, and out of focus. But Lord, we ask that you would enable us more and more both to see and to receive these things in faith. We know, Lord, that on our hearts, sometimes we reject it because it's all too good to be true, we say. But, Lord, it is true. And we pray, Lord, that we would all indeed receive this merciful Son of David, our King and our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.